0: Denise Mina reading We Are All Waiting, her new piece of work on the theme of Elsewhere, commissioned by Edinburgh International Book Festival. This story was written, um, I was going on a British Council tour of India and uh, the flight was delayed and I ended up in an airport, in Dubai airport, in a queue for about five hours. Before that was fashionable, I understand it became the fashion shortly afterwards when the volcano went off. Um, But uh, I was in the queue for hours and hours, and um, uh, as I was falling asleep afterwards, um, I thought, God, that felt like a lifetime. And then I thought about it a bit more and I thought, that actually was like my life, that queue. So this is a five-page autobiography, and uh, I to put my glasses on so I don't start making it up. It's called um, We Are All Waiting. We are very angry for the first hour and a half in the queue. We squash up close to one another, mistrustful of our neighbours. They may try and slip in ahead of us if any angle is left uninvigilated. We don't know each other's culture. In front of me stands a man with a Kenyan passport and a small goatee beard. He's tall, a full head taller than the rest of us. And between him and I standing absurdly close is a small woman in a blue nylon pashmina. She looks rested. She doesn't look as if it's 5 a.m. and she's in this queue, an angry, irksome queue full of people who have been standing upright for hours, mentally rehearsing the argument we'll have with the representative of the airline when it's our turn to be seen. A rumour starts at the back. A man tells his wife in something that sounds like Tamil and she remonstrates. People translate and the rumour circulates that there is no one at the desk. We are all waiting to get to an empty desk, hoping to be seen by someone who isn't there. But we're all too afraid to leave the queue. If we don't wait, the person behind us might get our seat on the next plane to where we need to go. The rumour reaches the front and a gentle-eyed man shakes his head and gives a little smile back to us. No, there is someone at the desk. They're keeping their head down, they won't look at us, against this room full of angry, demanding faces. Still, we are not moving. There is water available. In a passenger lounge around the corner, bottles of water and, bizarrely, individual slices of Dundee cake are stacked (laughs) up. The families are lucky. They can send a member off to get the water and the cake, but the single travellers are stranded. We can't even go to the toilet because we'll lose our place. An elderly woman in an airline wheelchair falls asleep. Sad women carry sleeping children, their arms sore, their backs aching. Their husbands stare furiously towards the desk, as if through sheer force of will they can conjure a solution. We can do nothing. There are six desks on our side of the cavernous white marbled room, an empty corridor fenced off by retractable ribbon, and then six desks on the other side with massive queues of their own. Without seeming to move, the queues implicate themselves forward, millimetre per hour, suspicion and hope propelling us all into italics. In the space between the two sides of the room, a man in a smart suit directs wanderers back into the queue. Waiting is inevitable. Oh, this is ridiculous, announces an American man two queues away. He goes off to look for a better solution, to threaten and bargain. But 50 minutes later, he reappears at the back of the queue. He took a chance and he lost his place. This is just the worst service I have ever seen. A man is behind us and announcing this to the crowd. He's from Glasgow, is camp, and is absolutely furious. I look around and make the mistake of catching his eye. Oh, I'm not even going to Brisbane now, he tells me. I'm getting them to transfer my flights, and I am going straight home again. I smile inappropriately. <laughs> I pretend that the earphones resting in my ears are on, and that I'm listening to music, and I can't hear him. The skin around his eyes is red because he is so angry. Even the run up to this holiday was a disaster. I smile and look away. The small woman in front of me smiles. She is smaller than me, which is very small. She has dusky brown skin and high cheekbones and she is incredibly pretty. Were you here for long before me, I ask, hoping she'll speak to me and the angry man will catch someone else's eye, belong to someone else. She's been here for 24 hours and the queue hasn't moved since she joined it at 2.30 a.m. and it is now 5 a.m. She flew in from San Francisco, from Vegas. She has to get home to Nairobi. Her sister died on Monday. She smiles and her eyes brim a little when she says it, but she blinks it away and changes the subject. Her grief is very different from the woman who sat next to me on the plane from Scotland. A woman with a name as old as the country and a face as familiar as my mother's. Her husband died in a car crash last year. She was in Yorkshire at the time with a nine-year-old nephew who has a brain tumor. She went to another funeral last week and everyone she knows has cancer. (laughs) Death stalks me on this trip. My Pashminid friend and I pass the time complaining about the queue. What are they doing up there? Is there anyone there? We complain on behalf of other people. There are women with children here, people in wheelchairs, old people. We're showing each other that we're good women because good women never complain on their own behalf. We plot our revenge. She will never fly through Dubai International again. But it's not the terminal's fault, I say, but I will never ever fly Emirates Airlines again. I will. <laughs> Some arts administrators are working for less than a student grant or a small publishing house will buy my flights and I won't have the heart to make them change it. There was a terrible storm over Dubai, an act of God no one's to blame. My new friend works for a health insurance business in Vegas and I ask about the US health reforms. The conflict of loyalties shows in her voice. She whispers to me that healthcare is better in Kenya than the US. When she had her daughter, she stayed in hospital for six days and they showed her how to do everything. Her girlfriends in Vegas have to leave the next day because they can't afford it and they all get depressed. She's been here for 24 hours of waiting, but she's lucky because her niece is a stewardess for this airline. She called her in New York and got access to the business lounge. She slept on a chair and ate biscuits and drank juice. The queue wasn't here when she first came down. She should just have waited. The men in front shift their weight and I glimpse the front of the queue. Right in front of the desk, leaning ostentatiously on it, is a smug woman with dyed blonde hair. She's laughing with her friend. She's the only person in the queue who's smiling. A tired, slight woman in a sari walks up to a fork in the queue, looking anxiously down to the desk. She's carrying a little girl who's asleep and is almost as big as she is. I think we should get this lady to the front, says my Nairobi Vegas friend. Absolutely, I say. She doesn't do anything. And even as I step forward, I know this is the pattern of my life. Every best friend I ever had is prettier than me, and every one of them is a passive agitator. (laughs) I am a moral golem (laughs) I wade out into the crowd about to incur the wrath of everyone excuse me I say to the lady with the child are you alone she nods excuse me this is a mistake and I am a fool excuse me sir I am a big fool and this is a mistake I have made many many times before the queue is ugly and we are all angry I just wonder if the people at the front would mind very much, and I'm touching the elbows of strangers, and I know it's going to end in a big confrontation, except this time it'll be in languages I don't understand. If everyone would mind very much if this lady went to the front of the cube, because she has a child. Oh, no, 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 the lady says softly, uh, my husband, she points to an unlikely man, older, strange ribbed jumper, and he's glaring back at us. Oh, I thought you were alone. No, but thank you, my husband is... The husband looks at her, cross, as if she's reproached him. He waves her back to the seats. I slip back into my place. Every best friend I have ever had smiles up at me and I know that I am every big daft best friend she has ever had and I smile back. (laughs) The man with the Kenyan passport turns to us. He's wearing a brown suit and a pork pie hat and his skin is the color of Bourneville chocolate. Madam, he says, you are very kind. And I blush because I tried to be good, but I made a big, big show of it, which is actually worse than not even trying to be good. But mostly because he's so handsome. (laughs) Angela from Vegas, Nairobi and I have recognized each other from everywhere, and we are now very close friends. Her husband is a hydro engineer. She's used to living in Vegas now, but it's not where she would choose. She likes Oregon and so do I. Angela and I like the rain. I keep her place as she goes to the bathroom to freshen up, and she does the same for me while I go to the loo for a pee. (laughs) While she is away, I see, in front of the smiling blonde, a man's head bob. There is someone behind the desk. They aren't doing anything, but there's definitely someone there. I tell everybody I saw him. I saw a man behind the desk, but I can tell most people don't believe me, but Angela believes me. A suspicion forms on our side of the room that the queues on the other side are moving. Some people break away, leaving their places and go over to the other side. But after a while, they filter back, retaking their previous places unchallenged. We have now been in the queue for three hours. Some people look for alternatives to just waiting. They stop passing air hostesses in their distinctive uniforms and headscarves. How are we gonna get to where we're going? People state their case, say why they deserve extra help. Business meetings must be kept, family obligations must be met. The angry camp man will already miss his balloon ride over Brisbane. There's no point going now. This holiday was not meant to be, even in the run-up to it. He knew he should not have come. He wants someone to ask him about it. No one does. We have been here for four hours and Angela's flight is due to leave in two and there are seven people in front of us and I'm so tired I find myself swaying on my feet, my legs ache, my calves are pink from standing, we'll never leave this queue. Angela met her husband in Nairobi. She shows me her photo on her phone, nice, but it's tagged stud muffin. (laughs) I'm a little disappointed in her, I feel she let herself down. She has five sisters and four brothers. Her father kept trying for sons and getting girls. She is the youngest. Her sisters told her scary things about guys when she was young. Whoever she dated got a hard time coming to the house. We show each other phone photos and pretend to be interested in each other's children. Really, we're just taking turns talking about our own. We see how hard it is to be away, how we're worried they get pizza every night and watch TV all day. But we're both glad they're not here with us, waiting. The business class queue is moving. The man dealing with the queue stands on a box and he calls over the crowd, anyone in f- first or business class? He won't help us, only first or business class. And Angela shouts, that's not fair, and I join in. And we shout long after the man has left his post and slipped out of the side door. We shout, that's not fair, we've been waiting, we're fed up waiting, boo, boo to you. And we're not even angry anymore, it's just a bit of fun. All around, small groups have formed, unlikely groups. A very fat African-American man and a tall, white, Afrikaner woman with no-nonsense shoes are getting each other water and cake. The man makes a big thing of saying he never eats cake, which he plainly does, and he makes her eat it. (laughs) Her phone rings while her mouth is full and she splutters that her battery's about to run out. She doesn't need a driver now. She'll just go straight to Bangladesh and she's cut off and tuts accusingly at her phone. Suddenly, thank you very much. It's the smug blonde at the front. She has been served. She has a boarding pass for a flight tucked into her passport and she holds it high over her head as she works her way back through the tightly woven queue. She's grinning and every eye in the room follows her documents. Excitement ripples through the room. The side door to the desks opens and an older man in a crumpled suit comes in. We hear the sound of tickets being printed and telephones on speakerphone perpetually engaged. The older man argues with someone on the phone. The queue is moving. Angela's sister was 56 and she died of an aneurysm. She complained of a headache and then the next thing she just fell into a coma. They operated and she started to respond to reflex tests. They thought she was coming back but the doctors missed another bleed into her brain. Angela says she suffocated. I don't understand that story but I feel it would be rude to ask her to explain. She asks what I do and I don't lie like I usually do. I don't say I'm a waitress or an academic. I tell her I write detective novels and comics. She likes Danielle Steele but she'll read one of my books and write to me about it. Hey, maybe she'll come to Scotland with her family. Or you know, maybe I'll come through Vegas on a tour and we'll meet again. I'm 43 and I know we'll never meet again. But I also know we both really want to. Angela gets her ticket for Nairobi. She has to run to catch her flight and we hug a warm, fond goodbye and I lift her off her feet. Then I ask her sister's name so I can remember her on my friend's behalf. And I'm dismayed to realise that even as I'm saying it back, I've forgotten it. The Brisbane man's queue is moving fast. He overtakes me. As he leaves with his boarding pass, he tells me he is going to Brisbane after all. He can leave in a few hours and he's gonna try and have a good time, make the best of it. I really doubt him. I am served by the surtly helper, the helper who is no help at all, who has been here with us all this time, not intervening, not helping, and he doesn't even make eye contact with me. He looks tired and browbeaten. And still, I'm absurdly grateful to him. I have only seven and a half hours to wait for a new connection. Now I can ascend on the long escalator to the duty-free shops and go and sit and piss at will. I can drink hot coffee and eat not Dundee cake. I can almost buy an ornamental gift box of double happiness cigarettes thinking they are chocolates. Thank you very, very much, I say, euphoric that my long wait is over, not knowing that the exhausted man has sent my luggage to Mali. Thank you. More podcasts, videos and live recordings of author events can be found at www.edbookfest.co.uk.